0: For all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass, this podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. That's- What's happening, family? Here we go. Like, wow. It's good to be with y'all again. Let's start off with all the happies. Um, Happy New Year. Happy Birthday if I ain't seen you. Happy Black History Month. Just happy everything, mostly. Um, I'm glad to be connected with you. It is... Uh, your friend here, Princeton Parker. Welcome to Building Without a Blueprint. As always, uh, I want to thank God for life and love, and I want to thank you for listening. Let me just kind of catch you up on what's been happening. 2019 uh, has been a year. Um, It ended pretty crazily. Last time we were together, we were hanging out last episode was in like November. A lot has happened since then. As a matter of fact, I should just do like a catch-up episode and let you into my life a little bit, but let me give you a couple of headliners. I was ordained at the church where I serve um, as assistant pastor. And so, yeah, (laughs) there's that. Did an incredible concert with my fam, my squad, The Voices of Refreshing, which is the young adult worship team at Crusade Christian Faith Center. And we did a concert called the gospel according to the 90s and then i had the opportunity to close the year by preaching at the incredible west angeles church of god in christ for my hero uh, bishop charles edward blake and i got the chance to meet another hero who is a younger hero somebody i look up to and uh it was the one and only jonathan reynolds And he is by far just one of the coolest people that I've ever had the chance to be around because of how genuine he is. And so that was a moment where it was cool on on a couple levels. It was cool to have that experience and just be starstruck uh, to some degree, but also to just experience another young man in ministry who's just walking this journey of what it means to be called by God and to be young and human. And so I uh, have the utmost respect and love for him and for his gift. And then at the turn of the year, I uh, had an incredible opportunity to be on the Patrice Washington Redefining Wealth podcast. And so we'll be talking about that hopefully in a future episode. And so all of that's been going on. A lot of good things. Of course, always personal struggles, but a lot of good things. And then bam. Um, I know you felt it. It was last week. It was Sunday, uh, the last Sunday in January when our worlds were halted by the news of the tragic passing and death of Kobe Bryant, who was one of nine uh, victims whose lives were sort of snuffed out by uh, a helicopter crash and we have been grieving as a nation. I believe the world has been grieving. And we've been grieving as people of color because it means something when our heroes die. We have been grieving as a sports community. If you're into sports, if you're an athlete, you relate on a, on a totally different level than those of us that are non-athletes. We've been grieving as a city. Those of us who are from LA, we lost a nip and, and we haven't even had a full year to really process that. And now we've lost Kobe and, and there's this sort of unsettling, like, yo, how, how will we rebuild just sort of the generals that that lead the spirit of the city of LA and give us something to look forward to? And so y'all, such is life, right? Where you are having these strides and you're making these moments and life looks like it's advancing. And then out of nowhere, like here comes tragedy and the unexpected and a broken heart And when I tell you, fam, if we're being honest, like my processing style, and I'm trying to grow out of this, but my processing style is I go numb really quick. Like that's my defense. I just, how do you feel? Nothing. (laughs) But meanwhile, I'm watching every clip and interview and post and tribute, and and I struggle to write my own for days. And uh, finally I had to sit with like, yo, this sucks. Like, and it hurts and I don't get it. And I am sad and confused and sometimes angry and and a little lost, to be honest. And in the midst of all of that, (laughs) I was just trying to make it through the week. You know, there's some weeks that you're just like, I'm just trying to make it through. In the midst of all that, I get a call from my senior pastor and he says, hey, you got to preach on Sunday. (laughs) Now listen, I preach is what I'm called to do. I'll probably do it the rest of my life. But there are just some days if we're honest, where you just like, uh, I, I listen. I don't got it. I don't got it. It ain't been a good week. I ain't really read or prayed really much this week. I, I prayed like two days out of the week. Not a good track record. Um, but he said, "Hey, I need to preach," and so I want to share with you what God shared with me and then through me. Let's go on this journey together. And this message, I wanna be very clear, is for everyone who's grieving, but specifically to hold in conversation, those of us that are struggling for what to do with our faith and what to do with our concept of God, where is God, who is God, what is God doing, which are all the things I've been wrestling with because of looking at tragedy in the face. So I hope this blesses you. Let's dig in. It's a weird way to start the year. It's a weird first episode of the year, but it's the moment we're in and we got to sit in it. And so I shared this message uh, the first Sunday of February, literally a few days ago. And uh, I hope that it will bless you. I hope that it will touch you. And I hope that it will just let you know that you're not alone. Let's listen to it and then we'll touch base after. This sermon is called What to Do, When God breaks your heart, what to do when God, who is supposed to be all things lovely and perfect and beautiful and all those things that we learn and believe to be true, what do you do when your heart is broken? Because that's the way we all feel. And that's what we're going to explore. Yeah, I believe in God, but right now my heart is broken. I don't know what to do. Let's dig in. We thank you that we do not have to ask for your presence to be here. It's already here. Thank you that now the word will take us to the next place. We have laid ourselves before you and now fill us with what you would have to say. May we see your word in a way that will allow us to leave encouraged and inspired, but also more focused, more challenged, more pressed to be more like you, to live closer to you, and to know that in you is everything that we need. Thank you for this moment. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. John chapter 11, John chapter 11, John chapter 11. And I'm going to read quite a few verses in there so that I can read through the story that will be the context for uh, our presentation today. Um, And then we'll spend some time in Hebrews chapter 4, all right? So I'm going to go to John, the 11th chapter, we'll read quite a bit there, uh, and then we'll go on to Hebrews chapter 4. We honor our bishop and our senior pastor, Bishop Virgil Patterson, and we're praying for the swift and speedy recovery of Pastor Jerry, that she might return into this space. Before I read the word, one of the funniest things happened this week. Uh, I was praying on maybe Wednesday night or Thursday, and began to intercede for our ministry. And I said, and and Lord, bless Pastor Jerry, because it's going to be a hard day to minister on Sunday. And Lord, just give her the right words to say. And we just lift her up in the spirit right now, because I know that you're going to equip her with everything that needs to be said. I just stand in the gap right now for her. Uh, And Bishop called on Friday and said, hey, I need you to preach Sunday. I was like, you know, Lord, listen, listen, bruh. Uh, sometimes you'll intercede and not realize it's your own self you're interceding for, okay? Uh, John, the 11th chapter, let's labor in this for a little bit together. And it says this is the beginning. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. This sickness is for the glory of God. Sickness, something that is horrible, is for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode. He stayed two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, all right, now let's go into Judea again. His disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late, the Jews recently have sought to stone you. They want to kill you there. And you want to go back to that place again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walketh in the night, he stumbles because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that, he said unto him, Our friend Lazarus is sleeping, but I'm going to go that I can wake him up out of sleep. And the disciples said, Well, Lord, if he sleep, then he'll be fine. Verse 13, how be it Jesus spake of Lazarus's death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. So then Jesus finally said to them straight up, he said, listen, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sake that I was not there to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. So then said Thomas, one of the disciples, which is called Didymus, unto um, his fellow disciples, all right, let us also go so that if he gonna die trying to chase Judea, we'll go with him, verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now, Bethany was near where Jerusalem was. It was about 15 furlongs off, verse 19. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary stayed in the house. So then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you Had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Verse 22. But I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it to thee. Verse 23. Jesus said to her, listen, your brother will rise again. Martha's response. Listen, I know he's going to rise again. It will be in a future event, though. In other words, she says, I get it. Everything works out in the end. Then Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection. Everybody say that. I am the resurrection. I'm the resurrection and the life. And he that believes in me, even though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said unto him, yes, I believe. Watch this. I believe that thou art the Christ, the son of God, which should come into the world. And when she said this, she went her way and she called Mary, her sister, secretly and saying, hey, the master is coming, he's calling for thee. And as soon as she had heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now, Jesus was not yet coming to the town, but he was still in that place where Martha met him. And the Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw that Mary got up and ran hastily, went out, they followed her saying, she's going back to the grave to cry some more. Verse 32, then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying, listen, If you had been here, things would have been different. Verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where'd you lay him? They said unto the Lord, Come, come this way and see. Verse 35. The shortest and to me, most powerful scripture in theological history. It says, Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have also caused that even this man should not have died? That's all I want to read. Now, move over to Hebrews chapter four very quickly. Hebrews chapter 4, two verses there, and we'll dig in. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 says this, For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings, somebody say feelings, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, just like we are, yet he did not sin. So then, with that knowledge of verse 15, verse 16 is true. Let us therefore come boldly. Somebody say boldly. Boldly. Let us therefore come. That's the instruction. And then it is how you are to come. So first, come. And then second, come boldly. Come unafraid and unashamed. Now come where? Come boldly unto the throne of what? Grace. Grace. The throne of condemnation. Grace. Grace. The throne of get over it. Grace. Grace. The throne of why don't you feel better yet? It says, come boldly unto the throne of grace. What's going to happen when I get there that I might obtain what? Mercy. Mercy. And then find what? Grace. Grace. There's that great word again. To help in the time of need. For the next few moments I have before, I want to preach from the subject, what to do when your heart is broken. I want to preach what to do when your heart is broken. I'm going to take it a step deeper and say something that might offend some. And for the purpose of today's exercise, I don't care all that much. I would almost present this as what to do when God breaks your heart. We will never forget last Sunday. It will be one of those moments in cultural history where you always know where you were when it happened. 9-11 is is one of those. In the narrative of our nation, uh, no matter who you are or what you were doing, you you remember where you were, not just the first time you heard, but that's one of the most interesting things is you'll never forget seeing those images. That's what was so crazy about that day. It wasn't just hearing that it would happen. It was having a visual image of what had just occurred and sort of having that replay in your mind after. It's interesting uh, that that 9-11 is one of those. Um, I was seven years old. And I will never forget that uh, Oprah was on. And it was a big deal that Oprah got interrupted because my sainted mother who was here was an avid Oprah watcher. I don't believe I missed an episode because she didn't. And I got out of school uh, at, at 2.30. And then when I got out of school early, I was in time to see the whole thing. And, and I'll never forget that, that it was a big deal because Oprah was interrupted because there was one of those moments in history where everything pauses. It, it is similar if we think about for those of you that have lived long enough to be uh, to have been alive when Martin Luther King transitioned, to have been alive when the video of Rodney King first surfaced, to have been alive when, when those moments happen and they arrest you because there are certain moments in life where something good is happening and time moves faster And then there are moments when something tragic happens and time stands still and it causes you to never forget. And so most of us will never forget last Sunday. And our experience, if you were here, will be quite unique because uh, many of us, like a lot of people around the country, heard this news in church. And we can't skip past that because that now means that I cannot disassociate church from tragedy. That the difficult part about this is that where you heard the news is important because now there's some type of linkage between where you heard it and what you heard. So perhaps if you drove down a particular street the first time you heard the news or something tragic on the radio, now you could be going somewhere completely different than you were the original day you heard it. But now every time you pass by that street, there's something just a little eerily familiar about the remembrance of this is where I was when I heard now, family, I want to, if I can, invite you into my seat in life as to when I found out. Some of you found out last week uh, of the tragedy that was the helicopter crash that dissolved the lives of nine incredible individuals. Some were able to hear while the sermon was still going on. So we faced a great deal of tension, right? That that now I have to engage with what I know is healthy for me, but my heart, my mind, and, and a great deal of all of me is distracted by something that is taken. But I want to invite you into my seat in life because I heard after preaching that for the rest of my life, I will associate that right after preaching, all things work together for the good. I must now hold that with the memory that the very next thing I heard, not later that day. No, no, the the very next thing I heard was, One of the greatest tragedies in history just occurred. So as a pastor, you go, what do I do with this? Both for the faith of those that I serve and for my own. Because let me let you in on a secret. Pastors will never tell you that we struggle to believe what we preach more than you do. It's a little secret because they'll never tell you that. But I'll, I'll let you in on the club today. We struggle more than you do to believe what we preach. Because it is easier to see it work in your life. It's easier to believe that you deserve it. It's easier to believe that the manifold presence of God will work in your life. But it is hard for us sometimes. And if I'm honest with you, sometimes we preach as hard as we do because we're trying to preach to the broken me that doesn't get preached to. So now I must go, God, not only what do I do with this for them, but what do I do with this for me? if you're taking notes, begin here. Tragedy does three things. Tragedy does three things. The first thing it does is this. If you're taking notes, start here. Tragedy always rocks you. Tragedy has the power of an earthquake. It makes you feel like the ground you're standing on is unstable. Because the unthinkable just happened. If you're taking notes, write that down. Tragedy always rocks you. This is the first challenge of dealing with any tragedy. is that I used to feel like my feet were on something stable. And the unthinkable happens and it rocks my stability. The first thing tragedy does is it rocks you. I felt so good hearing that all things work together, particularly my mistakes. And then tragedy like an earthquake, like a 12.6 earthquake shook the ground and made me say, am I standing on anything? Tragedy rocks you. Number two, tragedy triggers other tragedy. Let me go back to number one for a second. There are some folks here who will say, I don't understand what the big deal is. Okay. Tragedy rocks you. Fine. If Kobe Bryant means nothing to you, fine. Doesn't have to, but best believe you might have to fly somewhere at some point. So it might not rock you because your hero wasn't on the plane, but, but, but it ought to do, it, it, if you're human, it'll do something the next time you think about the fact that, that all of us have had to get on a plane, train, car, taxi, Uber, Lyft, something, and tragedy will rock you to say, if it ain't a helicopter, Lord, these buses ain't stable. If it ain't a bus, they building this metro and while we shouting, it 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 rocks you. It it, it has a habit of, of making you uncertain. It it has a habit of making you wonder so 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 what else can happen? it rocks you. Number two, it triggers other tragedy. Some folks are like, well, well, how could you grieve that heart not knowing him? Because not only do I grieve what he represents, not only do I grieve what he was to me, but this tragedy has the power to remind you of other tragedies you thought you were over. Right. And sometimes, as I cry Kobe tears, I'm also crying grandma tears. While I cry Kobe tears, I'm I'm, I'm crying husband-wife tears. I'm crying child tears. I am crying brother-sister tears. While while I cry Kobe tears, I'm crying tears for my cousin who died in a motorcycle accident two months ago. And I found out about that the same way I found out about this. I was in church, and I had just got done hearing this lady preach about how you were coming out of your low place. And um, I was there with a friend and, and we shouted and we danced and, and we were in church because there was this reminder that that God is going to pull you out of your low place. And I remember shouting. I ran around the church and, and I realized that I was getting phone calls from my mom and I'd been ignoring them because I was in church. And finally I answered and I answered to my mom being in tears. She was like, where are you? Ronnie just died. And I said, where, where are you? Where, where is he? And so now, for the second time, I must be confronted with the reality that after you hear God's word, here comes this reminder that life is so finite. It, it, and so, so though I cry tears for Kobe, I've got a backlog of Ronnie tears. So while you try to stop me from crying because you don't get it, you ought to pump your brakes because you don't know the rest of my story. <laughs> You don't know what else I've survived. You don't know what else I'm hanging on to. And you don't know how many times my heart has been broken before this. It triggers other tragedies. It triggers other things that I don't have the capacity to explain. And somehow I'm still expected to not just believe in God, but to be your pastor. Number three. Number three, tragedy brings up questions. Tragedy brings up questions. Many times I don't have to really face questions until I'm reminded about what I can't answer. I'll say this again. Many times I don't have to face my questions until I'm reminded about what I can't answer. As long as I'm here in church and we do church because we know how to, I don't have to face some of my questions. Because I know this. I know how we do this. And then the moment something happens that I can't explain, now I have to remember that I'm saved, but I have questions. You don't know you have questions until you get on the job having to talk about your faith to somebody that brings up the stuff you can't answer. Let, Let me rock your world for a minute. If science has proved that evolution occurred over thousands of years, how do you explain that your Bible said it happened in seven days? Let's take it a step further. If Jesus ascended into heaven and is sitting on the throne does that mean that there's a physical body on the throne? What's on the throne if Jesus ascended? And if it's a spirit, how do we know? Because he came in a body. So between heaven and earth, where'd the body go? What I'm saying is, there's a whole lot of stuff we don't know that as long as we do church and your miracle is on the way and Jesus here and salabo se kosaya and shout, then I don't have to engage in what I don't know. And every now and then, tragedy strikes to slap you in the face and say, you don't know nothing. Tragedy rocks you. It triggers other tragedy. And then it brings up Questions. And all of this is difficult for human beings. It is especially difficult for Christians. Why? Because when tragedy does all of those three things, I'm left holding my faith going, so what is this? This reads different after tragedy. It doesn't read the same as it did before. After tragedy, sermons hit different. After tragedy, you got a low tolerance for crap over the pulpit. After tragedy, please, please don't tell me about my car. I got to explain why a helicopter went down. Please don't tell me about $100. And don't ask me for no money today. I'm, I'm left to figure out... What do I do with my faith? And it is in this turmoil. It is in this tension. It is in this confusion. It is in this disillusionment. It is in this discouragement that for many, faith will stop seeming like a viable option. But then there are some of us who, like the disciples, oh, I, don't, I don't have time to say here. There was a moment where a lot of people left Jesus. And Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, y'all going to go too? They, they, were, they were so disturbed by what Jesus was presenting that they said, you know what? This ain't, this ain't for me. And they left. And Jesus looked at the disciples and he said, y'all gonna go too. And it wasn't a challenge. It was just really a question. Like, I get it. And they said, where are we gonna go? You hold the keys and answers to life and death. So now there are some who are non-believers who are dealing with this tragedy. And then there are some who are believers who are convinced now that at this point, faith isn't worth it because I can't reconcile faith and tragedy. And then there are some of us who are here today who are in the middle, which is, where else I'ma go, but also my heart is broke. And that's who I wanna preach to for these next few minutes I have you for. You obviously haven't given up on God completely because you still came to church the week after the tragedy. So you stayed, but stayed with pain. Do you see that it's not so black and white? It's not either you, you leave or you, you leave in pain or you stay and everything is okay. There, there's a middle of us and it's those of us who stay to say, God, where else am I gonna go? I'm still a Christian. I'm still a member of the church. I, it is what it is. But I stayed with pain. I stayed with questions. I stayed saying, now, Lord, you gotta help me know what I do with this. It's important to understand that the place that you're in When you decide to stay with pain is you're in the battle of faith versus trust. I want you to write this in your notes that when we look deeply at it, there is a small difference between faith and trust. There's a small difference between faith and trust. We oftentimes use them as though they are synonymous. And from the English language standpoint, you can from, if you were just doing dictionary definitions, you could, you could say to have faith in something is to trust in it, to trust in something is to have faith in it. But I want to push that a little deeper. I want to push us to look at the nuance between faith and trust. Faith is a strong belief or a confidence in something. Faith really relates to ability or possibility and we know that faith is a what we what we call in theological spaces. Faith has a multi-stroke definition. That means that faith has like twelve or fifteen or thirty different definitions. If we really unpack how the Bible uses it different times, that's not how deep I'm going with this. Okay, I just I want to stay on the emotional life leadership of it, if you allow me to. So I know there's some deep Bible scholars. Well, really, faith is the substance of. I, I know, I know. I promise, I promise, I know. Okay. Um, and we can do a 14-part series on faith, okay? We can. But I, I really just want to stay kind of low-level, surface with this. The faith is about a strong belief or a confidence in something. But, but trust is a strong belief in the reliability or the character or the truth of something. Okay? Trust is a strong belief in the reliability the character, or the truth of something. Faith, possibility. Trust, character. Trust is a willingness to believe that I can trust in the character or in, mm, there it is, whoa, in the safety of a thing. Trusting the ability is one thing, trusting the safety of it so that it produces willingness for me to give myself to it is a whole different thing. I'll give you a great example. In 1859, there was a man by the name of Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin. He was the first man to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. He would do this exploit in front of an audience and people who were watching him would be astounded that this man was able to cross the tightrope. And so he would go back and forth. Now, he didn't just do it one time, he did it many. And so he began to not just do it many times, but he would add things to the stunt to show uh, how his prowess was really that he could cross that Niagara Falls tightrope. So he would start crossing with things in his hand or he would start crossing while doing things. And finally, after doing it so many times, he asked his audience, he said, do you believe I could cross this with a wheelbarrow? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We believe you could do it, yeah. And so he crossed that tightrope with a wheelbarrow. Now he said, do you believe that I could cross this tightrope with a wheelbarrow and a person in it? They said, yeah, yeah. We believe you could do it, yeah, yeah. And he said, do I have any volunteers? (laughs) All of a sudden, you could, like I heard growing up, you could hear a rat peeing on cotton at that point. It was just, they just ain't believed nothing. <laughs> so the faith was, I believe you can. The trust was, I don't believe it's safe for me to engage with you while you do it. One of the biggest things that I saw as I was watching posts from last week was a musician by the name of Bart Orr, who I look up to as a keyboardist and as a drummer. He posted simply, he said, God, you broke my heart today. And to me, it was a one-sentence line that summed up the entire day. He said, God, you broke my heart today. Now, it's important to tease out that when he says that, his faith is intact because he's still addressing God, right? Like, if I was over God, I would have talked to a bottle of Hennessy, not God. Let's have that conversation, okay? Because that... And that Hennessy's going to talk back after a while. After enough shots, he's going to say something to you, okay? Some of y'all are like, I'm not a dark liquor person. All right. Tequila will talk back, too, after a while. That's what they tell me. I don't know. They just told me. Watched a couple of videos on YouTube. Hallelujah. He addressed it to God so his faith is intact. What is bruised is his Trust. Princeton, where, where are you going with this? The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Say it again like you know the scripture. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. So if my heart is broken, what gets affected? The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Because trust is a heart issue. Yeah. Faith is a word issue. If you ain't got no faith, you just don't know the word. <laughs> trust is a heart issue. Because trust is born by experience. Trust is born and broken by experience. Don't believe me. Fine. You let somebody cheat on you. I have faith that you could be a good husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, should you choose to be. You have the ability. My trust is broken because experience showed me that you wouldn't do that with me. So anybody from a healthy place is going to now set new boundaries around that relationship. My faith isn't altered. I know you're able. My confidence in your character is what is faded. And when you stay with pain, many times your faith is good. It's your trust that struggles. When my heart is broken, my trust starts to wane. Can I have just a few more minutes of your time? So the question is, what does faith do while trust is broken? My trust is broken, but my faith is still pretty here because you showed up to church today. So what does faith do while my trust is broken? While my heart is broken, how does my faith step in to make up that gap? That's why we read John chapter 11. Let's look at it for a little bit and then I'll let you go. Here's what's interesting. The Bible says in John chapter 11 that Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick. Now here's what's interesting. They put it to Jesus this way. They said, Lazarus, who you love is sick. Not a stranger, the one you love is sick. And the response of Jesus is, I think I'll wait here two more days. His waiting two more days equates to Lazarus dying. The word got to Jesus in enough time for him to do something. And he paused and decided to wait where he was. And the reason why John lets us into that is because John wants us to see the same tension in the text that we face every day, which is, This how you do who you love? This how you treat who you love, fam? Oh, because I thought that being in a relationship with you would mean that I would get access to the father's heart that the wicked don't get. So so you mean to tell me that love stays when it should go? If you are loved, because Jesus never stops being loved. Jesus is love. Jesus is God, and God is love. Jesus is love. That means that every single thing Jesus does is out of love. So, so now I got an issue, Jesus, because to me, it looks like love goes and sees about the issue when you hear about it. You ever stop being friends with some people because their they reaction was way too late for your liking? You know, your grandma passed away five weeks later. I, you know, I heard about your, he like, look, listen, we didn't add the funeral, the repass, we didn't pay her bills and sold her house. You know, appreciate your concern at this point, but about five months too late. The tension is, is this what love does? And Jesus says something interesting. Watch this. He says from jump, the reason why I'm doing this is because it's done for the glory of God. Okay. So the beginning starts with somehow God is supposed to get glory out of this. I'm going to show you why that's important in a minute. All right. So it's like, is this how you treat your, your friends? What is the benefit of knowing God intimately if it doesn't give you security? Finally, he dies. They come back and they say, um, hey, uh, fam, you're a little late. Not because you decided to be late. The situation is worse. And Jesus' response is, is not just weird. It comes across as foolish. Because Jesus says, no, don't, don't worry. He's asleep. We're going to wake him up. They're like, okay, great. Then he says, let's go to where he is. Now the disciples are like, bro, you are so confusing, sir. Why are we going if he's asleep? Then he says, no, let me tell you plainly, he's dead. Okay, well, why the urgency now and you didn't have urgency two days ago? Conversation continues. The Bible says that he goes in that area and Martha is the first one to meet Jesus. And I love what she says. Simple. If you had been there, this wouldn't have happened. Faith. I believe you could have done something because you're a healer. Faith. Trust broken. You didn't do what you could have done. That's a part of what we're feeling is, God, you didn't do what you could have done. And the reason why for many of us grieving is so heavy is because I'm not just grieving the loss. I'm also grieving the fact that it didn't have to be this way. She said, no, listen, Jesus, had you been here. There could have been something different. So, so my first question, first of all, thank you for being here. Praise the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. as Alaikum. Why were you not here? Because I have enough faith to believe that had you decided to show up, it could have been different. Have, have you ever gone to God and said, hey, bro, I, I get the sovereignty part. I think some people think that when you grieve, it's because you believe that God is not sovereign. When in actuality, I grieve because I know God is sovereign. In fact, this would almost make more sense if God is not sovereign. Tragedy makes more sense if God is not sovereign because that means that God will be surprised when I am. I actually wish God wasn't sovereign because that would be easier to, to digest sometimes I like to look at life. And as a pastor, sometimes you get confused. You think that because you're God's representative that you got to coach God on how to be God. And so as a pastor, there have been some moments where I looked up and I've been like, God, this is really not on brand for you. (laughs) Like, if we can just talk about your brand, you're kind of struggling. If we look at your approval ratings in this particular section, this demographic, you're kind of hurting. And then you go and do things like a helicopter crash and and let one of the most famous inspirational NBA players be like, "Uh, this, uh, this is not looking good for you. And as your PR rep, I don't know how you expect me to explain this to the masses on Sunday. In fact, it would probably be an easier case if I could stand and say, please excuse me, but my client is actually not sovereign, so he was just surprised as we are, so give him a break. But that's the struggle, is you, you knew, so then why wasn't your response different? Faith, you could have done something. trust. You didn't. My trust is broken. Why? Because my faith is in your ability. My trust is in your character. You love us. So why wasn't a manifestation of love doing it? Okay, let's push a little deeper. Then watch this. She says, faith, lack of trust. Then she goes back to faith. She says, I know that whatever you ask of God, he'll do. Okay? So she says, faith, broken trust, another faith statement. Jesus' response is, hey, your brother's going to get up. She says to him something interesting. She says, I know. I know. It's all going to work out in the end. What Martha represents is our two church responses to grief. The first one is, don't worry, God is sovereign. God knew about it all along. The other one is, hold on, it's going to get better after a while. That's what Martha represents. Her first statement is, if you had been here, why wasn't there something that happened? You're sovereign, you knew it was going to happen. The other end of church that we go to is, it's all going to be all right after a while particularly when we looked at, at the context, Happy Black History Month, the context of Africans who were enslaved in the Americas, right? One of the narratives that they held on to was a lot of imagery of heaven. That's why you go back to heaven in the songs. That's why you go back to uh, songs like, um, oh my goodness, I, I can literally hear it in my head. I mix it up three of them it'll come to me in just a second, songs that continue to invoke this idea that after a while we will go to a better place because that place is where we will escape to that is so much different and better than where we are right now, right? It was that idea, right? We live in one of those two realities. God knew it was going to happen and it's all going to be. She says, listen, I know he's going to get up in the resurrection. I know the end to your sermon, Pastor Jesus. said, if I hold on, it's all going to be all right. Jesus' response, he says, I am the resurrection. Now, if we move too fast by that, you'll miss the power of it. She says, if you had been here, and then she says, I know in the future will be. And Jesus says, neither one of those is our business right now. I am. The reason why he has to talk to her is because Martha is trying to solve instead of grieve. Write that down. Write that down. Martha's tension is because she is solving instead of grieving. My first word of pastoral wisdom to somebody who says, yo, like what, you know, why did this happen? My first is, before we even get to talking about how we won't know and all that kind of stuff, my first is we can't solve and grieve at the same time. I cannot do solving and grieving at the same time. Here's the next step. I can't do justice and healing always at the same time. Because I don't have a full cup to do the investigation from. Imagine I used to have asthma as a child. There's nothing worse than when you can't find your inhaler during an asthma attack. And at that point, it will send you into a literal anxiety attack because I can't not breathe and be trying to move through my car and I'm reaching under stuff. I'm already overweight as a child, so I don't have much breath as it is. And now I can't breathe and I'm trying to exert more energy to find what I lost. That's sometimes what we do while we grieve is we're trying to write an A to Z story when Jesus says, no, 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 listen, it's not about either one. It's about who I am right now. He doesn't say, I was able, and he doesn't say, I will be able. He says, I am. Where is God during tragedy? Always in the present. Where is God during tragedy? When I have a broken heart, where is God? The answer, God is always in the present. God's not with me doing the investigation part. Why? Because I could have the, all the answers and my heart still be broken. God's also not just in the future. We know God is in the past and God is in the future, but, but God's concern at this moment is not like, well, what, what are we gonna do? And it's all gonna get better. No, God is saying, you good right now. I am the resurrection. Here's why he says that. Because he says, Martha, you do well. I appreciate your faith that it'll all work out in the end. But also know that who I am is not attached to the outcome. I'm the resurrection. And it's not just Jesus forecasting that he's going to raise Lazarus back up. It's Jesus saying, whether he gets up or not, I'm where your hope is. Your hope is not in what does or does not happen. Your hope is in, is God still God? He says, Martha, listen, I know it hurt you. And I validate that, that I didn't come when you feel like I should have. And I also know that you want to rush till times get better. But Martha, if we're going to get through this, what do you do when your heart is broken? You be fully where you are. And you don't let the tragedy force you to try to fix or change the past. But you also don't let people or religion or systems try to push you to figure out the future. You say, this is where I am. I'm almost done. He says, shift your focus. The answer is not agonizing over what could have been, and it's not stressing about what will be. The answer is focus on what you feel right now. There are two things to focus on. I want you to get these in your notes so we can go. The first thing is when my heart is broken, I must be honest about how I feel. I must be honest about how I feel. I must be honest about how I feel in this present moment. I must be honest about how I feel. And part two, what do you do when your heart is broken? The second thing you do is you rehearse who God is. Why do I rehearse who God is? Because remember, trust was broken because trust is a character thing. God did something I didn't expect, so it made me think something different about God. But once I begin to rehearse who God is, I start by saying, hey, here's what I feel. Here's where it is. Here's where I'm at 100%. Do you, I've got to move, but do you understand that Jesus never rebuked Martha for saying what she said? He never came back at her and was like, Martha, shut your mouth. I'm here now. (laughs) He never said that. He never stood in Martha's face and was like, if you wanted to have some real faith, you wouldn't have started off saying what you said. No, he listened. Because you know what? Jesus said, Martha, you're right. And you're right about both statements. You're right. If I had been here, you wouldn't have died. You're also right. It'll all work out in the end. Let's focus on something else right now. How are you doing? And do you know who I am? And those two are where your healing's going to come from. Some people don't heal because they're never honest about what they're dealing with in the first place. And then some people never heal because they processed emotion, but now they're just walking around empty. Yeah, you got all that stuff out, but what goes back in? This is how the believer gets edified. I empty myself out and I pour out everything I feel. And then I fill myself up with everything I know about him. I am broken, but you are patient. I am sad, but you are my contentment. I'm frustrated, but you are secure. I'm angry, but you are righteous and just and merciful. I'm empty, but you're full of everything. I'm confused. You know the answer to everything. And that is how we get edified. I'm releasing myself of everything that is. I'm processing present moment. I'm understanding that the work of grieving is not to be in either place. It's not to let grieving push me to the past and it's also not to let grieving stress me out to rush toward the future. I need to be right where I am with God. Princeton, how do you know this? Is it just with Martha? No, Mary comes and says the same thing. Mary says, if you had been here, did Jesus correct her? No, he didn't. What did he do after that? The Bible says that Jesus saw them hurt and he cried. He shows all the facets of God in the same moment. The same God is the one who allows stuff to get worse than we think it should because he knows it's all going to work out for the good. Because remember, he said that this is for the glory of God. The same God who rushes to the scene saying, I can I can make something happen now. And watch this is the same God who will fix it after all. And yet that same God has a facet that is not so secure in his knowledge that he's not strong in his empathy. You got to write that down. God is not so strong in his knowledge that he's also not secure or strong in his empathy. Let me give that quote to you the right way. God is not so strong or excuse me, secure in his knowledge. God is not so secure in his knowledge that he's also not strong in his empathy, 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 the ability to step into your life and feel what you feel with me. He says, I'm the God who let it happen. I'm the God who will fix it. I'm the God who has conversation. I'm the God of all power, but I'm also the God who cries. And before we take communion, I need you to walk out of church today with an image of not just God, the creator, not just God, the sustainer, not just God who breaks down armies, not just God who lifts up, not God, the millionaire maker, not God, the matchmaker, not just God, the provider, not just God, the beginning and end of time. I need you to see the image of the God who is big enough to be above your problems, but makes himself small enough to sit in it with you. I don't know about you, but I'm glad to serve a God that's not just big and in the heavens. But he sits by me on the side of my bed and said, "Prince, that every tear you cry, I'm crying with you. Every question you ask, I'ma ask it with you. Every time you're frustrated, I'm frustrated with you. Because yes, I'm God, but I'm also love you enough to sit in it with you." Somebody say he cries with me. He cries with, me. He cries with you. He cries over you. Mm, God, I wish I had time to, to break this open the way I feel it. The Bible says. He saw how hurt they were and it made him hurt. Because he says, even though I'm the one with the plan and I had to let this happen a different way for reasons that I know that you don't, I'm still hurt that you hurt. I still look down sometimes and go, I, I, I get that because of my overall plan, this is what happens, but still, when I look and see praying, crying, Got to cry with him because just because I'm God don't mean I want you to hurt. Just because I get how it has to work out and some kind of overarching plan that I'm responsible for doesn't mean I don't want you to hurt. And the Bible says Jesus wept. He is the God who cries with us. As I close, this story is not about the God who resurrects. I believe that for our purpose today, it's about the God who cries. It is about the God who says, before we get to the ending, let's just sit in this a minute. Martha, appreciate your faith, but I realize your trust is broken. And I can't restore your trust until we grieve together. Eventually, we'll get to the ending. Eventually, we'll get to your brother. And this is how we can preach a text like this at a time like this. Because somebody will say, does this text have value if the person don't get up at the end? Yes, it does. Because if all that stuff didn't matter, he wouldn't have included it. Jesus would have showed up, raised Lazarus, and been like, boom, I can raise the dead get at me. But no, Jesus is showing me that even though I'm God enough to have power over the beginning and the end of the story, I'm also the God of the middle. Can I take you deeper before we go? You know what fascinated me? Jesus cried knowing Lazarus is going to get back up. You know you're about to bust a move. Like you know that since you showed up in the scene, like, you know, pull up in the scene with a gangster lean. You you understand that things are about to be different. So why cry? Question begs asking, why do we grieve if we believe everything's going to be okay? Because the outcome is not what justifies the process. If everything's going to be okay, why do I grieve? Because it's right to grieve right now. If God's going to do what God wants to do anyway, why am I praying? Because I don't pray because of the outcome. I pray because it's the right thing to do right now. That both my prayer and my grief are, now, are not outcome-based. Because we lose love that way. Do you know that we be in some situations and we decide whether or not we're going to go to the hospital based on what people are having? But She ain't going to be in there long. I ain't going to stop by. It's an outpatient. I'll just say a prayer on my way to work. Could you imagine if we did life that way? If all of our actions were based on the outcome? Because if that's what happens, we are going to be disappointed for the rest of our lives. Please don't start tithing because you want the windows of heaven and all that stuff. Please don't. Just save your 10%, okay? And pay the rest of your debts. We do it because it's the right thing. I don't control the outcome. I, there are going to be some times where it's going to turn out better than I expected. There are going to be some times where it turns out worse than I expected. I'm doing what I need to do because Jesus is in the present. And he says, look, I don't care whether he's about to get up or not. We're going to cry right now. What are you doing? When your heart is broken. You feel what you feel. And then you remind yourself of who God is. That's the advantage you have. What do you do when your heart is broken? You remember that we have a high priest who's able to be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. That when I'm sad, God ain't looking down like, ew, why are you sad? He says, no, 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 come on. Come on, come on. on. Because I feel it. Why did Jesus cry? He cried so that he could live through when the Bible says that weeping May endure. Now, we quote that so much we don't know what it means. The Hebrew word for endure, you know what it really means? It means lodge. It means dwell. So if we were to interpret that correctly, weeping will stay at my house for some time. Weeping will pull up with his overnight bag. And I don't get over weeping by kicking it out. You ain't welcome here. I overcome weeping by saying, come on. That's your room. But there's going to be a time where another visitor named Joy will come. Joy in, in joy, in the name of loving my relatives that are still here, Joy joy in the name of realizing that, that that even though God took somebody who inspires me, he left all this footage that I can turn back to to realize that this is what you can do with your life joy, joy in the form of seeing a baby being born and realize that, that God is still starting stories even when he's ending them, joy, joy in the form of realizing that I can come to church and, and be in worship and know that when my heart is low, God will lift it up, joy joy in the form of going home and watching the Super Bowl with people that I love and knowing that even though I'm sad over some memories i love, I'm making new ones as I go ahead joy joy in the form of standing up and going to work joy in the form of being promoted joy in the form of walking forth joy in the form of quoting the Word of God joy in the form of spending time with your spouse and your kids joy in the form of graduating college joy in the form of getting that degree joy in the on my job I'm gonna wear number eight and number 24 on my clue in my school and in everything that I have to do but joy most of all because I know that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away but while I'm crying he's holding me while I'm crying he's loving me while I'm crying he's strengthening me while I'm crying he's protecting me while I'm crying he's holding my head up while I'm crying While I'm crying he's telling me Princeton you gotta keep going While I'm crying he's saying "Prince, I still have a plan for your life And while I'm crying he's saying I love you And I love you when you're hurt And as you go forward we'll get some clarity I cry with you Because weeping is gonna stay It's supposed to It's a natural human emotion But what I will not do on the first Sunday after that tragedy, is tell you to get over it. What I will not do is try to rush you to tell you everything's going, we we know that. God is already taking care of both places. The most productive space for us to be in is the one that says, Lord, I don't get why you didn't come when I thought you should have, but you are the resurrection. And I'm gonna let weeping lay where it's gonna lay because joy is gonna come kick it out. And I'll be like, no, this room is reserved for joy. This room is reserved for processing. This room is reserved for going forward. This room is reserved for the Lord. Come on, choir. What do you do when God breaks your heart? You remember that he's the high priest who is concerned with what I feel. Take me to G, please. Who is concerned with what I feel. I've got to pray really quickly. We've held you too long. Football game is ahead. (sighs) Yeah. When I tell you I've had to go back to listen to that uh, a couple of times and just sort of sit in that moment, the tagline is really simple. What do you do when God breaks your heart? You do two things. Number one, you're honest about how you feel. I asked my mentor one time at one of the greatest points of grief in my life. I said, I said, John, what am I supposed to do now? how, how do I fix it? How do I make it better? How do I get better? What do I, what's the next step? I just don't know what to do. And he said, Princeton, here's what you do. You feel how you feel. And sometimes during grief, that could feel like a cop-out. It could feel like, no, give me something actionable to do, but in actuality, it's freedom. It is. A sort of liberation to be like, no, 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 don't focus on anything besides feeling what you feel and letting the tears fall and being frustrated and asking those questions because we have to open ourselves to the fullness of the process when we are hurt. And I don't believe that that's sinful. I don't believe that that's against God. I don't believe that, that God is expecting faith to push us into this demonstration of not feeling or of apathy. I just don't believe that. And I have Bible to back it up. And I'm, I'm never going to be that kind of pastor that is like, well, we believe God and we just, well, yes, we do. And and that's, that's a part of what makes it hurt. <laughs> so I'm not going to re-preach the sermon, but I really believe that I hope that as we continue journeying forward in Christ, that there will be a remnant, a portion, a section of believers that say, We shout well and we faith well. We heal the sick, we raise the dead, we lay hands on people, we love people, we put them in their destiny, we build people up. And when the time is right, we grieve well too. And we question and and all of it is a part of love and all of it is a part of faith and all of it is a part of walking with God. So when God breaks your heart, step one, be honest and say, God, you broke my heart. And I don't know what to do with this except call it, what it is in this present moment, and I got to get that out. I've, I've got to let I've got to let the heart bleed when it needs to. And then number two, when I'm a believer, now that I've gotten all of that out, now I need to reinforce back to me. What do I know about the nature of, and the character of God? That's where my feelings are worship, and then it translates into the worship that is acknowledging and adoring and reflecting because that is a part of what fills me back up. It's a part of what lifts the burden off of me. It's a part of what centers me to know that God is God and I am not. And then it is a part of what heals me and what gets me through the acceptance phase of grief, what gets me through the moving forward of grief. And ultimately worship is what restores my trust. It helps me see the bigger picture for who God is and it doesn't limit me to seeing God through this Isolated incident that is real, and that is important, and that needs to be grieved. But it is not the sum total of who my God is, and and I'm always doing the work of living between those two realities. So when your heart is broken, feel what you feel, process that, get that out, and know that God invites you to invite God or Him into that space. If that makes any sense, that God is saying, please. Please yell at me. Please let me into this, and I've got Bible to back that up. Um, and then you remind yourself, like, okay, now that I've gotten that all processed, that Lord, who are you? And let me remind myself about what I know about you. So, listen. I hope this blessed. Again, this is not an answers message. It's not a make sense of it message. It's not a everything's all good. It's just a hey. You're not alone. We're here together. And that's what I hope you took from that. But I want this to be a conversation. Let me know what you took from that. So please reach out. Shoot me an email, info at princetonparker.com or you can send me a, a DM on Instagram. I really love hearing from you all every time you let me know about an episode text me, whatever, email me. I just really want to hear from you because I want to know that this is connecting. Maybe there's another question that this birthed in you. Maybe there was something that you said, hey, this really got me through, but you left a gap here. Can you, uh, let's have a discussion because we're all in this together. And I believe that we're not going to get over it. We're going to go through it and we're going to go through it together. This is my pledge to you that Uh, although I'm a pastor, although I love God with all my heart and although I believe the word of God and I believe in faith and I believe that all things work together for the good, but I also believe that sometimes we just hurt and I'm here with you in that. So I love you. It's gonna be a great, 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 great year. We're gonna continue to go through this and move towards all the things that this year has yet to bring both good and bad. Uh, And so I'm excited to share that with you. Please, please, please like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Send this to somebody who has also been struggling, who has also needed something from a faith perspective to speak to this struggle. Uh, Send this to them. And again, thank you so much for rocking with me. Till next time, fam, with God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation, keep building, fam.